going to be raining, snowing, or whatever else. So if you have your Bible, open up to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Actually, uh, before you get, well, yeah, open up to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, we're going to get there in a moment. going to give some background a little bit uh, here. And, um, and so, yeah, so let me uh, just start off um, with a little bit um, from my own life. Um, and from the day I started kindergarten, um, or when I started to have English class, I quickly realized that my worst subject is English. And uh, reading and writing is not something I enjoy. I, I like to talk, but why do I need to put words on a piece of paper or type them in a computer or read someone else's word? That just didn't um, com com uh, compute with me. And so uh, as I got into uh, high school, I heard um, from others and a guidance counselor that, hey, if you want to go to college, you're going to have to take another language. And I'm like, I have enough trouble with English. You want me to take another language? And so I took French and eked it out by the skin of my teeth. Um, I think I had a few Ds in a few semesters, which I didn't normally get Ds in school, but French was different. Why in the world do I have to learn this language? And so anyway, you know, yada, yada. But all that to share, the, my frustrations um, and the discipline to learn another language is sourced in an event in history. It had a starting point because it wasn't always that way. I don't, I'm not saying that we always spoke English, but there was a time there was only one language. And so the event that we're going to look at uh, this morning um, is the reason why we have all these languages. And uh, it was God's grace and God's protection that he demonstrated his power through the twisting of a tongue. And so that's one of the things that we see about God, is that he has an unbelievable power to demonstrate and do what it is that's before him. And so before we get into the event, I want to kind of go back uh, to, to do two things to set this up in the book of Genesis that we've been looking at. Again, I want to keep emphasizing who God is because he's revealing who he is to us. But also we see through the book of Genesis who we are as people, as men, women, children, what we're like when left to ourselves. And so um, as, as we go uh, back, and so um, in chapter 2, verse 7, um, let me read this verse to you. You, don't, you. you can flip back, but we'll bring it up on the screen. And uh, this is more of the details of creation. And so uh, verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so we don't see it here, um, but we're given two names of God, and one is Almighty, God is Almighty, but the first one, Lord, in all caps, is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the most personal name of God, and God shows us how personal he is. All the other creation, he spoke into existence, but man, he personally breathes life into Adam's lips and lungs and gives him life because God personally, personally, he didn't do it from a distance, he personally gave Adam 
and humanity, life is not distant. He's not far away, but he's very close. And so we get that, per, per, that, we get that perspective. And um, actually, after Easter, we're going to do a series on the names of God, and we're going to see um, more of that as we get into. But Yahweh, uh, it's his personal name. And so that is a key thing here to see that God is personal. The other, the other piece, you know, if you uh, go back to uh, um, Genesis 1.28, we looked at this verse 2. God gives a job description to uh, humanity, to Adam and to Eve, what they're supposed to do. And so here's what he says in verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And so God tells them to do three things. I want to focus on the middle one, and that is that God said, fill the earth. He means spread out. Don't just hang out in one spot. This is a big universe. This is a big world. And so when you have children, don't just stay in the same spot, but go and see the whole world. Create new places. Fill the earth. And so these two things, God is personal, and he says, fill the earth, are very important as we look at Genesis chapter 11. Because what we see about man is, he doesn't want to listen to what God has to say, he wants to do what he wants to do. And I'm not just saying man, when I say man, I'm talking about all of us in this room. You know, in case the women are like, see, I told you, no. We're all included here. Humanity, we have a rebellion we looked at that last week in Noah. And so uh, Noah gets out of the ark, and, and uh, basically you, you turn back to uh, uh, Genesis 11, um, and you see in Genesis chapter 10 is a genealogy, and we're not going to look at that, um, but uh, we're going to, again, bring up to uh, this event uh, that is significant in God's revelation of himself and in the development of his plan and his purposes for earth. And so follow along. I'm going to read these. Uh, it's only nine verses, and, uh, and so listen along as I read it. Uh, Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks. And burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone, and they had bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will not be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their languages, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages, the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them 
over the face of the earth. And so the point this morning that I want us to get is um, really the, 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 the climax of this whole story is in, uh, in verse 5 when it says, And the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. That's the climax of this whole story. And again, what, what is God showing us? That he is not disconnected. He is not off with his arms folded saying, hmm, you people. It's not him. He's Yahweh. He's a father that loves and cares and comes down and shows us who he is. And so we see this in the midst of this story. We see this in the midst of what is going on. And so kind of the, the two points are, this first one is that um, the people wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Their focus was me, our glory. And they were working together in a significant way. And, and we, we see that here. And, and, you know, someone got the idea that, hey, let's, let's build a tower um, this is uh, in, in what would be modern-day Babylon. Iraq is, is kind of, you know, the area, the, the plain of uh, um, Shinar. I kind of uh, looked that up and, uh, and to see that. And so there is a, uh, this is a real place. I even went on the History Channel's website, which they're not exactly uh, the most conservative, um, and they even point to it as well. And so these are, um, so anyway, that's just a little tidbit. But you, you, you see the point here that, that uh, this, you know, is, is a real place. And so they started building uh, this tower. And they used bricks and they used bitumen. And, and this week I checked in with my, um, uh, 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 what do you, what do you um, my brick expertise. I sent Alan a few texts and said, hey, what is going on here? And he texted me back and forth. And and so, obviously, we don't use bitumen anymore, do we, in our mortar joints, because it's probably not the greatest construction. Um, bitumen is an oil product. It's black, and, and so they use that to, to build and construct somewhere along the way. You can do that this week if you want to research when we went to mortar, and, and you can enjoy that. Tell me about it later. Um, but they're, here, they're building this tower, and so they have a vision. And at the heart of their vision is rebellion. At the heart of their vision is they wanted to make a name for themselves, which is in opposition to who God is. And so what do we see here? We see pride. We see a selfishness. We see a bentness towards my glory or our glory. And the truth about pride is it's always subtle. It's always subtle. And the truth about pride, too, usually it's kind of like bad breath. Everybody else knows you have it except you. <laughs> and the same thing about pride. Everybody else can see it in you, but you can't see it when you're prideful. Because you're like, I wouldn't be like that. They have pride. They're focused on themselves. We're going to build this tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. You see, that's what pride does. Pride creates 
independence. Pride creates isolation. Pride creates, I'm okay. I don't need to change. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. That's what pride sounds like. And so that's what's happening here. Even though they were working together. And you see that. They were working together. But their vision was in opposition to God. They didn't listen to God. What did God say? Don't hunker down in one place. Multiply and keep spreading out. Keep going out. Keep going out. They were not listening to the word of God and responding to the word of God. It's simple, right? But yet that's the spiritual battle that we all face. (coughs) Simply listening to what God says and then doing it. They weren't doing it. They were trying to make a name for themselves. And so this is the wrestling match. My glory over God's glory. And the truth is, it can be very subtle. Right? It can be very subtle. But I think if we're all honest, every one of us in this room, we all have a bent to make a name for ourselves. So I'm going to give examples in three different areas. They all have P's. The last one I had to find the 50 synonyms to find a P for it. But uh, um, what are ways that we try to make a name for ourselves? How does, it, how does a pastor do that? How do parents do that? And how do we do that in our profession? Don't you like that? All those P's? I was kind of proud of myself. I'm like, I got to find another P. Profession is, is one in there. Because the truth is, as pastors, you know what? And, and it can be the most complicated because our job is to do things with and for God. And there's, uh, unfortunately, it's real easy to say, well, no, I, I want to see lost people come to Jesus Christ. Isn't that about God's glory? Well, of course it is. But what happens if God... The people that come to know Christ go to the church down the street. Well, see, that reveals, am I about God's glory? Or do I want them to come to Christ where I'm leading? Subtle. It's subtle, isn't it? I I think another area, you know, how how do you know as as a pastor if you... um, are about your name or God's name? Am I defining success the way God defines success? Or the way the world defines success? Our world defines success with external things, right? Numbers, likes, bodies, buildings. It's even another B, butts in the seat. Okay, that's not my own. I I got that one from someone else. But you get the point. We have things that we measure, right? And we can say, you know what, God, we I, I just want you to be glorified. And that's true, I'm sure. But there's a subtlety. I want my name to be glorified too. We'll get off the pastors, we'll get onto the parents. This is a strike two for me. I'm a pastor and a parent. And I'm a professional. Anyway, 
So what about us as parents? How, you know, how do we... How do we make a name for ourselves? We, 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 we focus and we're like what is going on here when we are more concerned about our kids' success according to the world's standards and not according to God's standards. It's like a good job, like being respectable. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But I'm just saying that as parents, we can easily want to have a name for ourselves and to be about my glory. And so part of what we're talking about here is a, is a heart check that we got to do. It's not as easy as, well, just cut and dry. Look on the external. It's what's going on in my heart. About as a professional How do you know if you want to build a name for yourself? Or am I doing what I'm doing so that I get noticed by the boss, someone who's in authority? Because if I get noticed, then I might get promoted. And if I get promoted, then I might get a bonus, a money bonus. Or maybe it's even as a profession, your integrity. Is integrity good? Absolutely. But if your integrity is about you and your reputation, then you're about building a name for yourself. It's good to be honest. It's a good thing. But just because you're honest doesn't mean you are about God's name. You might be being honest because you want people to look at you and say, you see that person, they are a good guy or a good woman. So this past week, if you're doing the discipleship journey, all this week we've been talking about the spiritual um, stages, right, of, of spiritual maturity. And so the connection here to that is part of immaturity is selfishness. Baby, child, young adult, parent. Immaturity is about self-focus. And the truth is, it, it carries through all those different things. Just because you're you know, older in age, we can digress very quickly to be about my name and be about my glory. And so that's what we see here going on. And I think that's the question for us. If you have pride in your life, you don't even want to look at it. But if you're willing to examine your heart, if you're willing to ask some hard questions, then it's revealing, you know what? You have some humility. God, where am I off? And so that's the dynamic that's going on here in the, the plane of Shinar, or however you say it. And so I think one of the things that we see here, you know what? That we learn, you know, God has made man and woman amazing. I mean, look in our world. Can't can't people do some astronomical, crazy, amazing things? Right? And you can be disobedient, rebellious. You don't have to be a lover of God to do that. There are godless doctors who can take a heart out of someone's body and put a new one in, and that's amazing. And so that's what God has made us with an amazing ability. So that's when, when God comes here and looks at you, he's like, 
Look what they're doing. He's not surprised. He knows that he has made us amazing. But what he's bothered by is that, once again, man is off target. They're going the wrong way. They're going the wrong way. And so he says that down in verse 6. Look in, look in verse 6, you know, um, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, they have all one language, and this is the only, the beginning of what they will do. So God recognizes, if I don't intervene here and do something, they are going to be in the same way of what happened in Noah's day. And so God, in his grace, and that's what we see over and over again, God is a God of grace, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of, of good, and, and usually, and we're going to see this here, it's going to be a little painful. It's going to be a little dicey, i.e. French class. Okay? But he's doing it because he wants to get us back on track. God is gracious and good. And so we see that. And so if you look back into verse 5, and, you know, um, and again, this is kind of the climax of the whole uh, event and story here. And he says in verse 5, And the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And so we see this is Yahweh. You know, and again, I don't know the specifics. I don't know if this is the pre, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is probably Jesus before he was Jesus. It's God the Son. He, you know, I'm sure people didn't look and say, man, you look different. Who are you? And, and so, but we see God who is personal coming down and seeing what is going on up close, because God loves people. And so we see that over and over in the book of Genesis. And so don't believe the lie that God is some disconnected, angry old judge that doesn't care about people. That is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God is constantly intervene and he's constantly stepping in he's constantly showing his goodness and his grace and his mercy and there are times that he runs out and he says last week we saw it enough i got to start over it is so bad i got to start over that's god's justice and so god comes down and he sees what is going on And this is what you, you love about God. Who's really in control? God is really in control. Who would have thought a twist of the tongue? Can you imagine the dynamic? Hey, Bill, I need some more bitumen up here. I mean, can you imagine the dynamic of that job site? How long did it take? How long did it take him to say, you know what? Something's not right here. I'm taking my tools and going to another place. Anybody who says God doesn't have a sense of humor, you're not reading the Bible. I mean, I'm sure he was probably like, watch this. <laughs> See, there was reality television before we ever got in tune with it. And so with the twist of a tongue. And so that's what we see about God. God's in control. 
God knew how to get him back on course. Because again, what did he tell him? Fill the earth. That's what he told him to do. And so he had to get him moving out. Moving out. We see this in the book of Acts because you know what? We as humans, we tend to do the same things. We just, we want to have our huddles and we want to stay in. And that's not all bad. I'm, so I'm not knocking all that. But we, in the book of Acts, what do we see? The church begins to grow and they were, Jesus told him, go and make disciples, not just of Jerusalem, start here, but you need to go out to the uttermost parts of the world. Were they responsive? A, a little bit, but not really, so what did he have to do? Look in Acts chapter 7, and when Stephen's life is taken from him, he is killed because he stands up and he confronts the nation of Israel. They're the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross. And they take his life. What does it do to the church? Scatters it. Because the master. And it just comes back, we just don't listen and obey what he's telling us to do. He has to get the church scattered. No, no, no. Not just Jerusalem. The uttermost parts of the world. Everywhere. Every tribe. Every people group. Every place that where they, you know, up in some remote place where they've never seen another human, never saw a white man or a black man or whoever man or whatever it is, they've never seen anybody. They're people that need to know the name of Jesus Christ. That's where we see the grace of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And this is a stark contrast to uh, Islam. Islam will not translate the Quran into any other language. What do we do with the Bible? We go to other places. We bring the, we bring the Bible into their language. There are people that spend 20 years of their life learning a language that's not even ever been written down. They write it down. Why? So they can put words to it. Why? So they can translate this, so they can hear the truth of who Christ is, what he's done in their own language. Why? Because that is, that's who God is. That's what God has done, that God is incarnational. God is personal. God is, he meets us where we're at. That's what we're supposed to be doing as the church. And there are still thousands. There's still, I think it's thousands of languages that don't have the word of God in their language. The work is not done. The work is not done. And so we see God here trying to change them to have a little bit more humility because God is interested in us making a name for him. He's the one worthy and only him. I love this verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. If you can bring it up. So whether you eat or drink, how many of you like to eat and drink? That's great. And so he's giving an everyday example here. Even in that, you know what you can do? But whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter what you do, 24 hours a day, every little thing, every big thing, You can either do it to make a name for yourself 
Or you can do that little or big thing to make the name of God be glorified. Be glorified. And so that's what God is doing here. He wants to make a name for himself because he's worthy. So go back to the three P's, the pastor, the parents, and profession. And So what does that look like? How does a pastor make a name for God? It means a pastor is willing to be honest about his insecurities. And I have them. And so do you. But we're talking about me right now, so I have them. My pride. Last couple weeks, I, a group of guys, I proposed a, a goal that I have for the, the next uh, year uh, here at Zion. Um, guys who got this email, you, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, I put a goal in there, and there was some pushback. So when you get pushback, if you have a name for, if you want a name for God, how do you respond to pushback? Well, God, maybe you have a different goal than what I thought. So I need to listen. I need to discern. I thought it was here, but maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. How about as uh, parents? You're more concerned for the obedience of your kids to Christ. than their education. And I'm not saying education is not important. Don't walk out of here not suggesting that. Kids, not suggesting that, okay? But when you compare math, where's the balance in your house? Parents, where's your focus? Is math up here and the word of, well, if you get to this, you know, you have time. What about God's glory? And again, I know, we're, I know we don't have all the time in the world. But I guarantee we have more time than what we realize. And so if we're about God's name and his parents, we're going to know the word of God. We've got to know it. We, gotta, we have to be examples. Like we can just tell, hey, kids, go read your Bible. Well, Dad, you don't read yours. You're right. Parents, if we want to make a name for God with our children, because that's really what our goal is. They're not ours. You know that? Whether you have them for 10, 20, 30, however long you keep breathing on this earth, we give them back. They're his. They're not ours. So when we think about our kids, it's our focus, God's name with our kids. And that means we parent different. with a profession. It means when we go to work. Uh, you're going to see it in your journal this week. Um, those of you who are doing the, the journal, there's a great phrase in there that, uh, that, that the writer puts in. And the, the phrase is, I'm a follower of Christ and the way I pay my bills is by being a doctor what this guy shares. But we usually define ourselves the other way, right? I'm a doctor. And I'm a G- follower of Jesus. 
to our identity in Christ? You go to work during the week to simply live and pay your bills? And, or is your focal point of going to work, is that the name for yourself? We, we, we twist things around. And again, I'm not saying work's not important. It is. Actually, you know what? Every day you go to work, you have the, 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 the most amazing mission field. You're rubbing shoulders with people that will never come to this church. They'll never set foot in it. And you have the opportunity to live out the gospel every single day. How are you going to respond when things don't go your way? How do you respond when it's a bad day? How do you respond when, when something happens in your home, a, a disease or, or a hardship, and they're going to watch you and see how do you respond? They're going to watch a real, live follower of Christ. And the question is, if our focus is the name of God, then is our life attractive? The Bible calls that salt and light. Are we salty? Do people watch us and they're like, I want what you have. It's just, I can't even put words to it. It doesn't even make sense but I want it. Or is our life just like everybody else? You know what? We do what everybody else does. No difference. No light. No salt. In uh, the summer of uh, 2018, I took a part-time job. Matt hired me at McDonald and Owen and uh, worked just for the summer. Worked in the planer shed, stacking, stacking boards. It didn't take real long for me to realize, you know, and again, I read my Bible every day before, but it took about two weeks to say, you know what, I need to set my alarm earlier because the influence is too great. There's too many of them there. I got to get up earlier to get more into the Word of God so that he can influence me, so that I go into this place to be a light for Christ. We have about, a, if we think about a name for God, you got to be in here a lot. It's not just for pastors. It's for every follower of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says this, You got it in there, Daniel? You got it in Acts 4? It's not in there? All right. Let's fast forward. Acts 4.12. Let's, let's, let's put it in the New Testament terms. Here's how Peter says it. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You wonder how we bring glory to God? Through the name of Jesus Christ. There is salvation and forgiveness in no other name. No other name. And so my question to us this morning as a church is how has how has Yahweh, how has God messed up your plan? Because you've gotten off. 
That's what, that's what the Tower of Babel is. He messed up their plan because they were off. How has God messed up your plan to get you back on track with him? How has God done that? What does that look like? How do you experience that in your own life? Because part of God's goodness, that's what he does. So when something's not going your way and you get bent out of shape, maybe you need to step back and say, you know what, God, what are you doing here? Our pride is, I, I, I don't want to listen. Humility is, God, what are you doing? Am I off somewhere? Do we need a course correction? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and be quiet and let me just pray. God, we thank you for your grace. God, you wait on us. God, you wait sometimes years in patience, allowing us to continue living the way that we're living. But you're a master. You're a master at, you're a master at getting us back on your path. You know how to speak our language. You know what will work. God, I pray this morning, maybe there's someone here who needs to just see things from your vantage point. Maybe there's someone here this morning that simply is fighting you. And they need to open their hands and surrender and say, God, help me to see from your vantage point. God, we want to make a name for you. Zion, we want to be a church. That is about your name, Jesus Christ. Not our name, not Zion. We want people to know Jesus Christ. And so, Father, help us to take the steps of obedience that you're putting before us in the process to make your name great. God, right here in Brookville, and God, in western Pennsylvania and all around the world, and in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together. Come out of sadness wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken.
you are 